You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So last week it was Demtel Christianity. This week, uh, the gospel is like a spirograph. Uh, it was one of we, look. We didn't have iPads when I was a kid. That's all we ever got to have fun with. It was a funny little plastic device in which you would uh, place a pen into a particular guide and draw out the most wonderful, colourful, exotic patterns. And tonight, what I want to say is, and what we'll hear from this passage is, the gospel is no different. The gospel is a guide for our life from which millions of different wonderful patterns begin to emerge. And in our lives, whenever we are not seeing those patterns of of godliness, of Christ-likeness in our lives, then in what we'll see tonight in verse 14 of this passage, uh, it's because we're not living in line with the gospel. The gospel is a spirograph. And so that's what we're going to read from in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, verse 11, sorry, through to 21. We've been going through the book of Galatians. It's our second week tonight. And here uh, is a little situation where Paul opposes Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. He was totally in the wrong. That, you know what, that, that was a total Z-snap. <laughs> totally Z-snaps, Peter. He's like... Whatever, talk to the hand, you're in the wrong. What we see first up is a confrontation happening between two of the great heavyweights in the Christian church. He says straight up, you're wrong. It's, it's, it's clear as day. Verse 11, it says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now, the issue here was that Peter was eating with Gentiles. And in verse 13, we see that uh, Paul calls him hypocritical. And what's, what's really interesting is the word hypocrite in the Greek uh, means literally to act out from behind a mask. And so Peter was acting out in a way that was not really in line with who he truly was. You see, in verse 12, it explains this to, to us a bit that he used to, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And that was a big deal because we know uh, Peter was still a, a Jew and Jews never ate with Gentiles. And we'd know if you're here for the Acts series that, that uh, in Acts chapter 10, we hear of, of Peter's, uh, Peter's uh, situation in Joppa in which he has this vision that comes down from God and all these different clean and unclean foods that God had prepared for him in this vision. He says, go kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. And three times the Lord says to him, you can go and eat these unclean foods. And finally, Peter realises that part of what God was doing in his kingdom was breaking out of this cultural captivity and that Jews could now eat with Gentiles. So he, he used to eat with Gentiles. And, and Paul's trying to remind him of that. Now, why was Peter being so hypocritical? 
When he comes up to visit Paul in Antioch, there's the circumcision group. There's always some form of group at school. I was not in the circumcision group. Um, I'm not even going to go there. But it was prob- <laughs> You see, and, and, and Paul's here uh, probably giving Peter the evil eye. You know, when your mum or dad does that to you and you're being a bit naughty, he's probably giving the evil eye as he's starting to withdraw from, uh, from the Gentiles who are eating at the table. Because, you see, although um, Peter had been there with James and see Paul had gone down to Jerusalem prior and had been with all the heavyweights, James and Peter, the great pillars of the church, and they'd all agreed that you're right with God by faith alone and you can do away with all these different customs. But that's not what had happened. You see, there was an issue here. And we saw that last week, that there's an order to the gospel. And Paul was trying to be really clear about it, that the order to the gospel was that you believe, then you're saved, and then you obey. And these other guys, the circumcision group, are saying, well, you believe, and then you've got to obey a bit, and then maybe you're saved. And so that was the problem. This group... The point they were making is they were still saying that believing in Jesus was important, but they're saying you've got to add to Jesus and his work and his love. You've got to add something to that in order to be right with God. And in their case, it was obeying all their laws and what they ate and what they didn't eat and whether you ate with Gentiles who they saw unclean. And so they were muddling the whole thing up. So what I'm getting at is this section of Galatians tells you not, not so much what the gospel is, but how it operates. And that the, the problem was not so much what they were adding to the gospel, but that they were adding to the gospel. The gospel that Jesus died for you in order to be right with God was enough from Paul's perspective. And so Paul's saying in no uncertain terms, Peter should have got it. He's a hypocrite. That was uh, the reason for the outburst. That's why it was wrong. Z snaps him. And, and says that you've seen the vision, you've met with me in Jerusalem, you've heard and experienced the gospel, you've agreed it with the rest of the boys in Jerusalem, that you're right with God through faith in Jesus alone, and yet publicly, either explicitly or more likely implicitly by the way that he draws back from these Gentiles, he's saying to them, you need to keep going on with your Demtel Christianity. I know you want more, And so you have to adopt my Jewish customs in order to be fully right with God. That's why he says he's wrong. And so along comes this passage, and this is what we've been going through in this series, that although we think we get it, what we see from Peter himself, a great heavyweight of the church, even though we think we get the gospel intellectually, sometimes we don't get it. And tonight we'll look at Paul's principle that he lays out with Peter, the implications of that, and the application of that. We see a little case study that he has in this passage, see the principle that he lays down is radical principle when he deals with really what is racial pride on Peter's account. Lays it down and he says that his pride and his cowardice is because verse fourteen, when I saw that they were not in, in acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, "You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So how is it then when these guys come up and around, you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs?" So what did Paul mean then when he's saying you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel? Well, it literally means, what he was saying is, it literally means um, that, that they were not ortho walking. Um, ortho, I had braces once when I was a kid, and I thought it would be a bit funny. And uh, the reason you go to, and you get braces is because you want your teeth straightened. There's one of those uh, situations where the Greek word means what we think it is. If you, if you want to go and get your teeth straight, you go to the orthodontist. 
where you go if you want your dentist straight. And so what he's saying is that you're not walking straight, you're not aligned to the gospel. And what that tells us and implies is he's saying that the gospel is a guide. The gospel is a spirograph. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel has a set pattern to it uh, that then weaves out other patterns from it, the additional arm that goes out into our lives. Paul's saying that the gospel's a guide and these truths don't change. Truths that they're weak, that we're weak. Truths that we need a saviour. Truths that Jesus uh, has come and died and paid for our sins on the cross. Truths that we seek to control our lives by being our own saviours. They're truths. It's a truth, and it's a truth which makes, and there's another truth, a truth that makes Protestantism, I'm still not going to say it right the entire series, Protestantism, right, uh, different from from every other branch of Christianity. There's, there's, There's the core truth here that Martin Luther discovered, sola fide. It's a truth that makes it radically different. It's a, it's a truth, according to Luther, on which the church falls or stands. It's a truth. In fact, it's so important, he says, that the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Now, part of what he's getting at here is that we're to continually beat the gospel into our own heads, quite literally, because we say we believe it, but we don't get it. And this truth is that you are justified by faith alone. Justified, it's the first time that Paul uses it in this book here in verse 14 of chapter 2. Justified. Now it's important to have a look at that. It's a word we hear so much around church. It fits in that Christianese character, uh, characteristic of words that we often use. Justified. Often we get the definitions a bit wrong, a bit different. You see, it means when you justify something, doesn't mean to change something, but to change your view of it. Let me put it this way. If I was uh, walking out down the street and uh, the police see me absolutely king-hitting a guy, big sucker punch to the side of the face, the guy goes down onto the footpath, they come up, they handcuff me straight away, they take me back to the station, they say, you're under arrest for assault. And so at that point I'm condemned which is the opposite of being justified. I've been condemned for assaulting this person and then I say to them, yeah, but sir, that person was about to pull a gun on someone. Has your view of the whole incident changed? You see, what happens there is that your behaviour becomes justified. It doesn't change the behaviour. It changes how it's treated. It changes how it's viewed. And so, in essence, to be a Christian is to be justified. When you become a Christian, you're justified. And look, typically, this is how we think about it, right? We think that we've we've got a we're going to make a promise to be really, really good, or or we go up we, we go up the back of the auditorium and we receive Jesus and we're sorry for all the things that we did that were really, really bad. But to be a Christian is not becoming good to be justified, but you become good because you've become a Christian. And so becoming a Christian is not about stopping being bad. You see, it doesn't change the behaviour. It, ch- it changes the way that it's viewed. It changes the way that God views our behaviour. It means your sins are no longer brought into the opposite of justified condemnation. So it means if to be justified is to change the view of the behaviour and not the behaviour, then, then we're justified in Christ and in ourselves we're still sinners. In, in God we're still seen as perfect, but when we see ourselves we're still sinners. And look, one of the tough things is we don't like to use the S word all that often in our society today. 
don't like to say the sin word, but, but here's, here's an important thing. I just want to pause for a second and get. Sin does not equal worthlessness. Sin means lostness. I tell you what, if you lost a lottery ticket that was worth a million bucks, you'd be turning that house upside down to find it. That's the way that God views you. you you're a lost lottery ticket. You are, you, are, you are so precious to him. And so, so in God's sight, we're perfect in ourselves as sinners. Luther calls this, wait for it, and you're going to look this up in Wikipedia, I know. See if I say it right. Simul justus et peccator. It's Latin. It means you are simultaneously at the same time just, justified and a sinner. Simultaneously. In other words, as one commentator says, we are more sinful than we dared imagine, but more loved than we'd ever dared hoped. Justified. Wow. Justified sinners. The truth of the gospel is that we're justified sinners. Now the implication of that you could spend the rest of your life trying to work out what that means. And one of the challenges is, and that's why the Paul uses his metaphor in line, is because we never seem to fully get it. We always walk one way or the other. We always go one way and, 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 and move over towards our acceptance or, or the other way we beat ourselves up about our own sin. And that's why one of the, the great uh, early fathers of the church, Tertullian, put it this way. He says that just as Christ was crucified between two thieves. The doctrine of justification is crucified between two thieves. You see, what he's saying is that gospel's unique. It has a left side and a right side to it. And he's saying you think you believe, but you don't because you're always going to fall one or two ways. What's, what, what am I talking about? Which ways? He's saying you're either going to fall towards legalism or you're going to always fall towards license. You know, or legalism or license. And that's the, that's the great challenge that came up in exchange this week when we were processing all this sort of stuff because people are saying, hang on, if I am justified just by believing in Jesus, if I'm right with God just by believing in Jesus, then why can't I just go and party? Why can't, why can't I go crazy so we move over to the license side of things? And we emphasise it that way. Or other people think, well, that's too good to be true. And so firstly, we see some people live legally that's gospel plus. That is, the gospel's not enough. We've got to have something a little bit more. And people that live like that, sometimes have got a view of God that is this wrathful, vengeful, punishing God that's looking at every move. And so you've got to get absolutely every part of your life right because it just, it's too good to be true. And so correspondingly, their behaviour is they're always trying to do good things. Always trying to do a little bit more. We're praying harder and we're going to church more because if I just do this, thing, then I'm going to eventually be right with God. You see, the legalist, and here it is, you can write this down, the legalist under-realises their acceptance and over-realises their sinfulness. Under-realise their, they don't see that they're accepted by what Jesus has done for them and they keep beating themselves up over their own imperfections. And the result is there's no power and there's no joy. There's no power, no joy in their life and there's no transformation by the gospel because they're saying, I can do that myself. That's the legalist over here. I can do it by myself. And then on the other side, you have the, wait for this word, we talked about it, exchange, licentious. Those who just want to take all sorts of license, do whatever they want. And that's because part of their, their view of God over here is that, well, God just loves everyone anyway. That doesn't matter. It's cool. And so, and so um, uh, God's love, he's going to accept me and I'm a, I'm a generally good person and it's all cool and, and I'm a loving person, I'm a tolerant person. You see, the licentious person under-realises their sinfulness. I'm a good person. And they over-realise their acceptance. 
And so the result is there's no power and joy there because if they're not fully aware of their sinful nature, if, you don't, if you're not aware of, of, of your need for God, then, then what good is it when you see what he's done for you? See how there's no power or no joy in what Jesus has done for you? As one, as one person said, imagine someone came to your front door and paid all your debts for you. Now, if, if it was a postage stamp, you'd shake the hand and say, thanks very nice. That's nice. If it was your tax bill of $60,000, you'd cry, you'd be weeping at their feet. You see, until we come to a recognition of our own sinfulness, we don't know whether to shake Jesus' hand or fall at his feet in tears. There's no joy, there's no power because there's no need for a saviour. And what Tertullian's saying is that this is what it means. Legalists on this side say the gospel sounds too good to be true. <laughs> and, and the licentious over here says the gospel's too restricting. I, 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 I don't, it's it's going to cramp my style. They, legalists say Christianity's too easy, like, like the person on their deathbed. And if they believe in Christ, then they're still going to go to heaven. It's, that's too good to be true. And the, the person that's licentious says, Christianity is too hard. I've got to change what I've do, got to do. I've got to give up the life that I like to live. But there's, there's a third way. There's a third way, living in line with the gospel. And the gospel is that you're both. You're both sinful and you're both accepted at the same time. And so although these two different lifestyles either side look totally different from one another, they're doing exactly the same thing. One person over here does it by, by being really, 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 really good. And the other person over here does it by living life however they want to live. You, you know what they're doing? They're finding ways and means to avoid Jesus as their saviour. Finding ways to avoid their need for God. And there's no power and there's no joy. And so in contrast, Christians, they've got a totally different way, totally radical way of, of, of approaching God. Christians' approach is, is, is not to be sorry so much of what they have been doing, but the reasons why they've been doing it. Not so much what they've been doing, but why they've been doing it. They're not sorry for, for not only their bad deeds, but the reason behind their good deeds as well. So why is the gospel the third way? The, the gospel is in, right down the middle, as Tertullian says, because it critiques both religion and irreligion. So if you ask yourself tonight, where do I sit in the spectrum? Look, the key to understanding the implications of the gospel is to see it as a third way between two mistaken opposites, legalism and being licentious, doing whatever you want. And the Christian's radically different. They pursue a third way right down the middle. How? Here it is, because at the, at the cross, at the cross, the gospel shows us a God who is far more holy, far more perfect, with far higher standards that the legalist could ever bear to imagine. And that Jesus had to die because there was no way our own good works would be able to reach that. But at the same time, we see a God that is far more loving than the person who likes to take a bit of license would dare admit that Jesus had to die because he loves them. Only at the cross do we see that. The Christian says, since I've seen all of that, since I'm accepted, since I'm loved at the same time of, uh, of, of being sinful, since I've got all that I need to live this life, that I fulfill the law because of what Christ has done for me, but I also have a freedom. I'm realigned to freedom. I've got license to do whatever I want. I'm not judged on my moral conformity. And so here it is. Christians begin to obey God for God, not to try and get stuff out of God. 
It's only at the cross, as it was said before, to see the law by love fulfilled transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. That is, we obey not because we have to, because we want to. That's the third way. Where, where are you tonight? Legalism? Licence? The gospel's a third way right down the middle. And so finally, finally we see the principle applied. When I was in high school, I did business studies and the way that we learn in business studies, we didn't necessarily do exams, we did case studies. And so you would have to read through the case study and you'd have to see how that applied to everyday life and see how the principles came through. And that's exactly what Paul does here with, with uh, this passage. He's given Peter a little bit of a case study. See, the question is, why was Peter's racism not in line with the gospel? Now, the premise was, Paul was saying here, the whole thrust of his argument was that God didn't choose you, Peter, on the basis of your race or your culture or your customs. God didn't choose to have a relationship with you based on that. So why do you choose to make that distinction between everyone else? (laughs) He's saying to Peter, you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten the gospel that you're a sinner saved by grace. You know it, Peter. You believe it. You'd even get an A on the justification exam, but you're not living it out. And so here's the interesting thing. Notice how, notice how uh, Paul approaches Peter. Does, does Paul go and roll out his Old Testament as he would have looked up the, all the different laws in the Bible to say, look here, Peter, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 83. There's not really that verse there. I'm just making this up. But where it says, Peter, racism is a sin. And does he flick through and see here it is? No, he, he, he doesn't do that. He says, no, no, you're not living in line with the gospel. And so what he's saying is your racism's indicating that you, you're forgetting that you're a sinner saved by grace. You for, for, you're using your race and your culture as a way, a way to feel superior to everyone else. You, what you're saying in your actions is that Jesus' work is not a, enough. So what's Paul, Paul is saying, yeah, the racism's an issue, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is, your, is the reason for your racism. When you think, well, what difference does, does that make? Look, when you say to someone, when you always just provide people just a rule for how they should act, and you only look at things externally, you don't uncover the roots, then you, 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 you move into all sorts of different confrontation. Imagine turning up to church, someone there saying, hey, Joe, you're a racist. You think the response is going to be all that effective? They've got one of two options. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. Or they're going to get confrontational with you. <laughs> Paul, look at, the, look at the wonder of his technique that he uses here. He just totally unpacks it, cuts in beneath the surface. You're not in line with the gospel. Paul says, let me show you the reason. And the reason is, Peter, that you're trying to find something other than Jesus to cleanse yourself and purify yourself and make you feel right with God. You're adding something to the gospel and you're using your race and your culture to feel righteous. See, see what's going on? See what happens when you use the gospel on your own heart in this way? <laughs> It's amazing. You see, this is why. You see, because without the knowledge of the root of the sin, then we've got no way to affect change to our behaviour. What do you think Jesus says in the, in the Beatitudes when he's talking about, you have heard it said, do not murder. He says, don't get angry with someone. I'll tell you why. Because it's, it's, I, I think, not from experience, but it's pretty hard to murder someone when you're not feeling angry with them. You see, Jesus goes beyond the, the rightness, the externalities of the Pharisees and he gets to the reason underneath. That's exactly the same principle that Paul uses in this little case study. 
And so the question is, do we approach each other this way in church? Of, of course not. You know, often, often we, if you're a committed Christian, you'd say, you do this. The Bible says you should do this. And often we feel, we feel guilty, we feel condemned, and, and ultimately implicit we're saying you just, you just got to try harder. <laughs> just got to try harder. No, Paul cuts to the reason behind it all. And so that's what it means for us is we're always holding the gospel up to us, to our hearts, like a, a bit of tracing paper to see if, if the very core of our hearts is in line with that. And when we begin to do that, I can guarantee, I tell you from my own personal experience, you begin to see all sorts of areas of your life emerge in which you're not living in line with the gospel. And you want to get some tips as to where you go, where you go and find that, go and have a look in Galatians chapter 5, when Paul talks from verse 19 of all, all the different areas, pride and factionalism and, and self-interest. All, all of these, you know, like what happens you know, when you're not aligned? What happens when your front wheels on your car are not aligned? You begin to rub a certain patch down the edge of the tyre which tells you pretty clearly that your wheels are out of alignment. What Paul is saying in Galatians 5, 19 through to 21, when you're seeing these areas of of pride and of self-interest and all the things that's so difficult for us to admit pop up in our lives is that we're we're scrubbing the side of the (laughs) tyre. We're not living in line with the gospel. We know we are when you continue to go on and you read the fruits of the Spirit and love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, all the things I know in my life, I need more of. I'd like to display more of. And so what does it mean to walk in line with the gospel? You are justified, righteous sinners. And that means you, if you're a Christian tonight, you, you are radically different from every other religion in the world. You walk from a perspective that's different from every other religion that says you're more sinful than you dared imagine, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. That is the balance of the gospel, the third way. What it shows us is that we're to live our lives out on the basis of who we are in Jesus. That is that I'm I'm free from this condemnation, from God and from the law, as if I've already died and I've already paid the debt. But I'm as loved by God as if he loved Jesus himself. Can't love you anymore. What a triumphant thought. Though we're sinners in Christ, we're righteousness. And that's the dynamic for Christian life. That's the engine of Christian life. But only when we see ourselves completely and, and totally whole and loved in Jesus will we have the power and the confidence to repent, to feel sorry of the things and the fears and the ways that we don't obey the life that God wants us to live. What is that? <laughs> It's, it's, it's repentance, it's rejoicing, it's repentance, it's rejoicing, it's repentance. It's, it's a spirograph. It's the spirograph. And that's how we continue to draw out the patterns in our life between repentance and rejoicing, between the balance of sinners and justified, accepted, loved ones of God. So back to that question, legalism or license? Given that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus, where or what, what can I do? <laughs> See, what are, you, what are you doing? You're thinking in terms of moral conformity. You're thinking in terms of what's the rule, what's the line, what have I got to do? Instead, the principle is that we're to ask ourselves in every aspect of life, not what is the moral way to act, but how do I live in line with the gospel? So the gospel is a spirograph. What I love about it is that the pattern for your life is going to be vastly different from everywhere else based on the way that God has created you and the way that you interact 
with the great spirograph that is his gospel. Continue, friends, to continue out, to, to trace out and live out patterns of love and joy and of peace and patience as we continue to go round and round in this Christian dynamic of repenting and rejoicing for all that Jesus has done in our lives. That's what you're rolled to do when you ask, what am I doing this week? That's what you've got to do when you live in line with the gospel. Maybe, maybe tonight, maybe you don't know what it is to live life by the spirograph. Maybe you don't know what it is. Like the girl said in that film clip, oh, daddy. <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't know what it is to call God your daddy tonight. Believe in Jesus. Walk into a life that is going to trace a pattern you can't even begin to draw through your own strength. You need that guide. You need the gospel in your life. You need Jesus. Come to him tonight. It's as easy as faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that tonight you will continue to reveal to us the parts of our hearts in which we're not living in line. And tonight we saw Peter's case might be racism, but tonight, Father, for some of us, it could be pride, it could be self-interest, it could be fears, it could be uncertainties. Father, I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll take each and every one of us deeper into that place and you'll reveal to us like skid marks on the tyres, that uh, our lives are not in line with how you would and have planned it for us. Lord, I pray for those tonight that, uh, that don't know what it is to have this Jesus, this Saviour in their lives tonight, that haven't, haven't lived by a, 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 that pattern that is just more wonderful than they could ever achieve on their own. Father, I pray that you might move and stir their hearts tonight. But Lord, in the midst of that, we help us to continue to be a shining light to those around us. As we struggle through and process the faith, realise that we will never, ever entirely get this right until we meet your son face to face. But at least in the meantime, we help us do it just that little bit better to live in line with the gospel. And it's in his name that we pray these things now. Amen.